You're listening to BiblioAsia Plus, a podcast produced by the National Library of Singapore. At BiblioAsia, we tell stories about Singapore's past, some unfamiliar, others forgotten, all fascinating. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Jimmy Yap and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of BiblioAsia, a publication of the National Library of Singapore. Singapore is a place where many religions coexist. But it's more than that. It's also the birthplace of goddesses. Goddesses like Maiden Lim, Maiden Lei, and Maiden Huang, who have been worshipped in Singapore for maybe a hundred years. Sadly, because of urban redevelopment, these local goddesses no longer have standalone shrines. Today, the statues of Maiden Lim and Maiden Lei sit on an altar in the Chinling King Temple in Bukit Merah, while a tablet of Maiden Huang is housed in a columbarium in Wat Ananda, the oldest Thai Buddhist temple in Singapore. Here to tell us more about them is Ng Yisheng. Yisheng has done research on these local goddesses, and he's written an article in BiblioAsia about them. Yisheng is a poet, fictionist, playwright and researcher. He's also won the Singapore Literature Prize, and not once, but twice. The first for his debut poetry collection, entitled Last Boy, and a few years later for Lion City, his collection of short stories. Welcome to BiblioAsia Plus, Yisheng. Hi. Okay, maybe actually for the people who you know, haven't read your, your, your piece in BiblioAsia, can you give us a sort of quick potted history of these three people? So maybe starting with Maiden, Maiden Lim. The story that the caretaker told me about Maiden Lim is that she was uh, um, just this ordinary woman, quite virtuous, living in Kampong Henderson, maybe about 100 years ago. And her husband was a sailor. And um, but there was um, there was a man in her uh, village called um, uh, I think Mr. Tan who was uh, really attracted to her, and so what he uh, um, what he did was he made her husband believe that she was being unfaithful, and according to some stories, uh, the uh, um, the husband. Uh, the husband killed her. In other stories, she um, she killed herself by jumping into a well, and right. uh, okay. and then and um, but you know her spirit was sensed in the in the village, and uh, and Mister Tan, the guy who sabotaged her, you know, ended up going crazy and driving a nail into his own head. Okay, that so sounds like people a very were like, yeah, let's let's fate. just build a shrine and uh, it was quite popular. There was um and uh it seems that women would often pray there for Tsapsi Gi numbers, right. you know, lottery numbers. So this was round about the t- turn of the twentieth century. Well, I the dates are seem to be very unclear. You see like uh um the caretaker um uh, uh, uh you know, uh, Huang Ya Hong, Hong, who, um, yeah, he is. He told me it's about a hundred years ago, and he knows some um, 
an old woman who was alive at the time of the incident. Oh, and so who yeah. actually like was a, a yeah, but knew I, of this this lady. You know, I we don't have a lot of sure, independent sure. proof that she existed as a historical figure. And, and so the shrine was built along. About Kampong Henderson on Henderson Road. On, on Henderson Road, yes. and then after that, um, and you know, it, it got worshipped presumably mainly by the people who lived in the Kampong. Yes, yeah. I mean, although it seems that her her story was passed around, like even my mother, who lived in uh, the north um, of Singapore at uh, uh, Lam Swa, she said her her mum had heard of um, oh. of. Uh, uh, of Ling Kunyang and uh, claimed that um, she and had a different story claiming that she had suffered uh, sexual violence which is right. like but we don't that's all she was able to tell right, me right, right. there's probably quite a few other Ling Kunyang stories floating around the shrine is here in Henderson Road but it gets moved at some point what's the story behind that? Ah, well this is where it gets political you see um by the late 70s, Singapore is doing a lot of in, um, urban redevelopment. And what the folks at Chinlingking, uh, at uh, Ling Kunyang Shrine, to, uh, uh, tell me is that there was also a Hindu shrine in the area. I haven't been able to get independent corroboration of this, but my father says there was an Indian community there, so it's possible. So the Hindu shrine gets told, like, you guys have to relocate you uh, for because we're doing redevelopment and they say, you guys are being racist. They are never telling the, you're not telling the Chinese shrine to relocate. So they say, okay, well, we'll also tell Lin Kunyang's shrine to relocate. And Lin Kunyang's shrine goes to um, this temple, which doesn't exist anymore, called uh, uh, Yuan Tong Si. And things seem to be going okay. There's, um, m- lots of people going to that temple now to pray for Tapti and, and this is like the 1970s. Yes. And then, uh, yeah, I haven't been able to get a clear, uh, An exact a date. fixed date right. uh, in the 70s. But it's, but uh, we know that uh, in 1977, uh, specifically on 13th February 1977, something quite dramatic happens. You see, um, that year the MP for Bukit Merah uh, Lim Guan Hu, um, he collapses from a stroke in um, yeah while at, at the national stadium observing um, a ceremony, and like a few hours later, uh, the MP for Radin Mas and Govid Sami he he dies of heart attack in his own home. Right. You know, this is the thirteenth uh, February nineteen seventy seven, and uh, the wee hours of the of Valentine's Day, fourteenth February, right. and it gets okay. it gets reported on Valentine's Day, nineteen seventy seven is front page. Yeah, which but is what, just, are, just what people were yeah, saying. But uh, yeah, know, just attributing their untimely deaths to 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 the the the, the shrine's moval, uh, yeah, but removal. People get spooked, and right. people in um, yeah, people in the civil service as well as um in the on the ground and um. And the caretaker says there were um, other uh, other deaths happening as well. So one thing that happens is this grassroots leader um, gets a yeah uh, he he decides to move uh, uh, to move uh, Lin Kunyang to his to the new combined temple that's being made out of um, other uh, other temples which are uh, which have been demolished. And, and this is the one in Bukit Merah. 
yes, and that's the new, the current, uh, her current place, which is called, um, yeah, uh, called uh, Chen, um, Chen Long Kong in Mandarin or Jinling King in Hokkien. Right. Okay. And uh, that's made up of uh, several, and uh, specifically she's in, on the outer of uh, uh, Chen Ren Gong, which is one of the subsidiary temples. And, um, and yeah, they, we actually get, um, they, they have, People bearing the um, the patron god Baosheng uh, Tati on a sedan chair, and uh, they go into a trance, and he actually gives his approval in writing by having making marks in um, ashes oh, with okay. the with the tip of, with this sharp tip on uh, the sedan chair, and uh, so and, and and so this is at the point where they move the the altar to the new temple. Yes, um, it seems like it's a. Uh, this happens around 1980 or 81, according right. to uh, the caretaker Huang Yaohong. We do It's hard to get uh, specific dates, sure, but sure. this is uh, so. It didn't happen overnight, and this right. was when um, this was actually when um, the current United Temple Ch- uh, Chenlonggong Chenlengking was already um, yeah. Uh, and, and the so grassroots that- leader's name was uh, Yo Jinhua. He was on the board and. Um, and his son still helps to uh, give her her offerings uh, on uh, the seventh day of the seventh month. Um, oh, right. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. No, the fifteenth day of the seventh month. Right. Yeah. Right. And uh, yeah, there's and people still, yeah, people still pray to her. Right. It's okay. not a. It's not a huge number of people. She's not as well known as possible, but yeah. But the te- uh, yeah. But the temple says like. Interestingly enough, when they need things from LTA or the civil service, somehow things get done quite quickly and okay. promptly. Right. Okay. <laughs> Just in case. Okay. Uh, let's hope they don't consult her for library fines. Can I find out what about the other the other goddesses? You have okay. um, Madame Lei as well, yeah. right? Lei Niang Niang's uh, story is. Um, it's not clear. Okay, so what the caretaker says, and uh, Huang Yohong's been there since 74, so he's seen a lot of things. He says, like, he thinks she's been there from the 50s, and but she's not a... But she didn't do anything remarkable in her life. She didn't have a, a, a remarkable life story. After she passed away, her spirit was sent in the kampong. So, and this is Kampong Henderson as well. So oh. she also got a shot. Oh, she was also from Kampong Henderson. Yeah, which is strange because we don't have a story of how she ended up okay. in Long Kong. That's, that's and, interesting. But like I should say, even though we know so little about Lin Yang Yang, she and Lin Kun Yang, um, they they get equal billing. Their names are printed next to each other on the, on the temple, on the on, uh, on uh, lanterns, on the brazier. Yeah, their statues stand next to each other. Tell us about Madame Huang. That's the third goddess that you write about. What do we know about her? Okay, Huang Kunyang or Mkonyu. Yeah, she's, was, uh, she lived around uh, Kampong Silat, which was called uh, Gua Sua in uh, Hokkien back then. Uh, and uh, the story that I got from the Taoist priest Jay Fu's website, which seems to have been circulating quite a bit, I'm not sure its origin, is that she was born in 1866 on the 12th day of the sixth lunar month. And uh, she became a nurse at Singapore General Hospital. But in the year 1901, uh, she was trying to rescue people in a fire in her kampong, and she was... Uh, and a, 
a house collapsed on her and she perished. And after that, uh, she, her, she had a shrine um, that was seen in the Heng San Teng Temple in the, uh, on Jalan Bukit Mera, which and that burned down in 1992. So probably around this time, although I don't have a clear uh, beginning date, we saw a shrine to her appear in the Singapore General Hospital area. Oh, and okay. That's, and so she actually got a lot of uh, patients and uh, family members of patients who were praying to her. But one odd thing is that uh, in 2017, when her shrine at Singapore General Hospital was being moved, uh, the uh, uh, Shin Min Rupao interviewed... Um, a 66-year-old resident of Kampong Silat, and he actually had a very different story. He claimed that she had, um, she was a woman who had uh, killed herself for love after her family had match-made her for, to someone else, and that's why she was being, uh, her spirit was being worshipped in the, was being pacified in the temple as well. So it's un- unclear which story is true. If right. either. <laughs> All right. or, or, or if any of them. Maiden Huang is, at this point in our story, she is, loca- her altar is located on the Singapore General, uh, the grounds of Singapore General Hospital, but it's no longer there anymore. In 2017, when SGH decided to do some redevelopment work, uh, well, I don't know, having learned from previous mistakes, they were like, okay, we have to do this properly. You know, we, uh, so they consulted um, Taoist priests he, they, who had to pray to her and um, invite, uh, uh, invite her through a ceremony to go elsewhere. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we've got these gorgeous photos uh, that uh, friends have taken of the huge paper houses and the huge ceremonies that were taken... Uh, uh, done during this time, and um, well, surprisingly, um, her her out uh, her outer piece, which had uh, Huang Kunyang, uh, her name written there, was uh, seems to have been replaced with a more ornate and newer piece uh, after that, and that was brought to uh, Wat Ananda Metiarama, which is uh, Singapore's oldest uh, Thai Buddhist temple, and it and. Uh, it's not, but it's not in the main. Uh, um, it's not in the main temple area. It's in the um, the columbarium te- uh, area where other um, other uh, d- dead folks are being led to re- rest. Right. And it's uh, and uh, but you know there are signs saying that she's there and she you know you her tablet is quite prominent. So she's still being given her due. It it seems to me you know, we we all these goddesses are worshipped at shrines. So initially they're at shrines in whatever location they are, whether it's SGH or Henderson Road or whatever. But then these shrines get moved to temples. It so it it seems like it's important that a physical manifestation is maintained somewhere. And can can these goddesses, for example, be worshipped at home, or do you have to go to the temple in order to? Oh, yeah. They are yeah, these are they are worshipped at home. In fact, something that I didn't get into the article was the fact that there's um there are Facebook photos uh, of um this uh this apparently um this shrine uh, this large shrine inside a house, uh, inside an HDB flat where people give offerings to 
to Lin Kunyang every every year on a special day. And like they've got like huge like uh red cloths printed with her name and the like and it's they actually it's actually saying Hongshan Lin Kunyang, maiden limb of Red Hill. So it's even though there are several goddesses called Likunyang across diasporic uh, the Chinese diaspora, it seems to be this one. But we can't get in contact with them, the, okay. and uh, and so it's so it's very uh, so it and and of course this is based, this is a more major shrine. There's, there's a good chance um, that these goddesses are uh, that are uh, like that. These largely forgotten goddesses, who are spirits of, uh, who are seen as spirits of dead people, they're worshipped on ancestral shrines as well. Are these perhaps uh, the three best known goddesses in Singapore? Or are there many, many more? Oh, there, there are, there are quite a lot. And I mean, it's uh, people like Ronnie Pinsler who've compiled information about, about this. Would you, um, well, would you say that these are the, some of the better known ones, or are these? Are these the ones just in the south of Singapore? And no, I I would say, I would say they're better known. That's why I would um, Jay Wu, the priest, he actually decide, uh, called them the three uh, immortal uh, maidens of Singapore, uh, which sounds very nice. But there are uh, more but, than three. Uh, I mean, yeah, there, there are there there are a lot. I mean, many of whom have. Uh, um, we don't seem to have any trace of anymore. I found like uh, around the fifties, there's a documentation orientation of uh, um, worship of uh, Chu Kunyang. Uh, I have visited the shrine of uh, of Honghua Kunyang in uh, this in I think uh, the Katong area. Uh, I've seen there've been write-ups about figures called uh, Liu Xiu Kunyang. Tai Fu Xiao Kunyang, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's gods as well. There's uh, there seems to have been a substantial cult to uh, um, a, a teen teenage boy who died during World War Two called Liang Taiye. Yeah, the British press called him Lightning Lad. Surprisingly, oh, okay. like, and Did he get uh, hit by lightning or something. I'm yeah, I think he was. I, I, I yeah, and uh, yeah. And it's strange because you know it's like that's not a very um, dramatic way to uh, sorry that's not a very uh, martyr like way to die but uh, but it I, one thing I've started to realize is that it's not it's not actually the stories of these goddesses which is, or or gods and goddesses which is necessarily so um, important uh, like. Uh, the, the documentation of Chu Kunyang says like she was she became um venerated because when someone set up a shrine uh to her and prayed to her, he got winning lottery numbers. It's about how effective these right, gods right, are. Right. And this seems to be um I've been doing re- research uh, personal research about uh, regional um uh, regional uh worship of folk gods and there seems to be something quite similar going on with um with uh, Vietnamese folk gods and goddesses okay. because, you know, this emphasis on, like, not so much on stories, but on, like, is this god effective? Will this god give you what, what you, you need want? Or yeah. what you want. Yeah. Right. It's, it's very practical, right? So you, you, you... And presumably the better-known ones are known for being more effective 
in in giving you what you mm. want, whether it's money, you know, whether it's winning lottery numbers or whatever. I mean, it's a uh, so I mean, but it is a whole chicken and egg situation. The more you, the more people go, the more success stories you hear sure. about, okay. and you yeah. will hear out success stories more than. Um, you know, okay, but like, this is not to say that I don't believe you are effective, Lingunyang, like, I right. still love you. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. As, as Singapore progresses, is it true that, you know, there's less and less of this worship of local goddesses uh, as people either stop worshipping or they, they find different religions? Uh, I mean, yes and no. The yes is that... Uh, Unfortunately, Taoism and especially uh, shamanistic um, uh, Taoist uh, worship is is not seen as a very fashionable religion. I mean, I, I it's uh, definitely my father as a baby boomer generation. He actually thought he's actually said that that he has Christian friends who tell him he's being very old-fashioned for still carrying out uh, Buddhist rituals. But you do have Buddhist revivals now with like, uh, with, with because there's a great international Buddhist uh, scholarly tradition. But even uh, within the Singapore Taoist community, there is this, uh, there, there is this, uh, a certain sense of, um, from the scholarship I've read, this, uh, this desire to make yourself uh, respectable by like by de-emphasizing the shamanistic uh, the trans issues and saying like no that we should talk more about the philosophy and uh, so and uh, while we do we have these um hu- we still have these huge um uh, shamanistic Taoist uh, ceremonies like uh, the I mean and uh, like the Nine Emperor Gods Festival like and uh, yeah when when uh, Chen, uh, when uh, Qinling King reopened there were like yeah like I think there were like fifteen spirit mediums there I there were like you know yeah I was uh, Qi Gong was there Quan Yin was there Ne Cha was there I like all these yeah like I saw like. All, all these gods coming to inhabit people's bodies, yeah, in the middle of an HDB stage. Grab drivers were stopping to stare, and like it was, it was fantastic. When was this? When yeah. was this again? Oh, just um, just a few months ago. Yeah, I would say just yeah, I Instagrammed it. Like, oh, it's okay, like, yeah, and, I need you know, to check it out. Huge a, a procession of like uh, lorries going around the parade. But people say this is rare. I mean, um, this is real heartland stuff, and this is not um. The direction we've gone for a long time saying that, oh, Singapore has to be about rationality and science and, you know, so even, so your religion needs to be backed up by an, by a framework of rationality and science. This doesn't uh, fit into that. But the flip side of that is that, um, what I've told people is that as Singapore, um, as any society gets um richer more prosperous more internationally recognized uh the more we get proud of the stuff that makes us unique the more we get proud of the stuff that we used to hide away claiming that oh we don't want uh, the neighbors to see this because we so like hey we're already we're already respected we should be proud of our whole selves
thanks for talking to us about this. And what are you working on now? Are you are you doing more research into into these gods and goddesses? I'm not doing a special project right now. I, I'm um, I would say I'm like I said I'm an amateur. Uh, if if prompted, like if I get asked to say, if you guys say, oh, do another article, then yeah, I probably will, might. But yeah. uh, but I'm right now. I'm just I'm actually trying to do more background research. There's a wonderful book called The Way That Lives in the Heart that uh, oh, is about uh, Taoist practice in uh, Penang that I'm uh, reading. But that's just that's more my personal interest stuff. That goes along with my interest in Southeast Asian literature and uh, history and myth that I'm oh and uh yeah I, and I'm also like I I do a book column so I'm also trying to uh, uh, try uh, trying to read more of the of black diasporic writers for um black history month in february so wow, so okay. but but um yeah i i'm also doing work for my for my computer for the computer game uh company i'm working for i am trying to get my um uh, my novels published overseas one of which is a supernatural crime thriller and the other one which is uh, set pre uh, a retelling of the rise of Sang Lautama oh, with really? actual historical research, but like, oh, uh, fantastic! Have you written? These have been written already. Yeah, these have been written, but okay, and okay. I'm and okay, there's this the irony that I'm I realize I'm I'm at a good enough point in my career where um where it would not be hard to get these published in Singapore, and I just want to see could I get these on a bigger platform? I don't know if I can, but I'm just going to try for a while. Isheng, thank you for talking to us about uh, about the goddesses. At this part of the the podcast, what we do is that we ask our guests the identical bunch of questions, and we just want to, you know, and and this gives us a sense of who these people are and what they're interested in. So let me ask you, who do you think is the coolest person in Singapore history? Yeah, I feel like it's Habib No. I oh, mean, okay. you know, like, <laughs> All right. yeah, you guy is uh, okay. So he's. He is, according to folklore, um, an uh, early 19th century um, a guy who came over, I think, from around Penang, uh, probably Arab Puranakan, um, and he comes to Singapore. They say he works as a clerk, which and but he goes into religious trances. He go, he is, and uh, he he still he. Um, he takes uh, he takes uh, f- uh, food from market and ge- gives it to the poor and he uh, and when they put him in jail he just teleports to Mecca because he's got mystic powers he's a oh, Kuramat okay. Hidup he's like a, he's a living saint and oh. uh, he's and uh, when when he uh, when he dies he's his tomb is become uh, becomes a site of um, of reverence uh, and for people of all races, and uh, this the Makam Habibno is still there at Tanjong Pagar, and I've got friends who've been who've been there to pray for their exam results and their health. <laughs> what, what historical figure or which historical figure rather would you would you like to have dinner with? I'm right a bit kind of curious about Rajendra Chola, the um the the second. I mean, like. Uh, Okay, I'm I'm interested in him because he's uh, he's supposed he he was the Chola emperor who um, who in the year 1025 went on an expedition and uh, 
conquered slash colonized a bunch of Southeast Asia, including Singapore. And uh, according to the Sulatu Salatin, or uh, also called Sejarah Malayu, he, in, he, while he's in Singapore, he gets into, um, he creates a little, uh, a glass submarine, goes to the bottom of the ocean, you know, hooks up with a mermaid, and that's how Sang Lao Utama gets born. Um, let me ask you, what, what do you think is the most underrated or an intriguing period of history? I'm really intrigued by um, pre-colonial Singapore history. Uh, I, I, feel like, um, I feel like I've been really, really parochial just thinking about this in terms of Singapore history. So let's widen this, about, uh, this a bit. Pre-colonial Southeast Asian history is fascinating and complex uh, full of really, um, uh, yeah, full of larger than life uh, figures. I mean, I mentioned uh, Rajendra Chola, but also, uh, like, yeah, like in in Singapore in Singapore's history, there's the fascinating figure of a uh, once Rebani, the Queen of Buntan, who actually gave Sang La Utama the funding. The, the it says that he she got he got from him the men, horses and elephants to found um to to found the city of Singapore and it also mentions yeah she invented the nobat the um, musical the royal religious uh, the royal musical tradition um uh, orchestral tradition and she she visited Arabia so it's like that this is 13th century stuff I mean like so like there's a lot and there's actually a lot all these all these um fascinating uh, um a lot of uh stories of powerful women um as well as men in uh in the history of uh pre-colonial Southeast Asia especially I mean island Southeast Asia as well what book is on your nightstand at the moment? I'm reading African Psycho by the Congolese writer Alain Mabanku. I'm probably mispronouncing his name. Uh, I'm uh, I'm also getting. I've got my an iPad in my bag because I'm getting my way through all of William L. Gibson's thousand one hundred and fifty six page PDF about. Um, uh, uh, yeah, about Karama in Singapore. Luckily, a lot of it is pictures. Complete the sentence. History is... Everything. Good. Okay, I like that. I like that. Biblioasia is... People like... Biblioasia is that sweet spot between academic journals and magazines for the masses. You know, I got a PhD. I've pub- I, okay, I published an article about... Uh, artistic representations of raffles for uh, GM Ambrose and I and I got approached to do it for Biblio Asia and I was like yes now people will actually read this damn thing right. and I got okay. like and I got to do a totally uh, very a different perhaps more interesting take on that and I go and I really do feel like um, like this is this is important uh, for everyone I think who's interested in learning more about what Yisheng has written uh, about the homegrown goddesses of Singapore, um, you know, please check out Yisheng's article "Maiden Lim and Her Sisters" uh, on the BiblioAsia website at biblioasia.nlb.gov.sg. So, thank you very much, uh, Yisheng, for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe to the podcast and the BiblioAsia newsletter. Thank you for joining me on BiblioAsia Plus.